everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I hope we can still be cool after the first round of the playoffs. I mean, we're still gonna be cool. Like, I know you're a Lakers fan. Like, you're a Lakers fan. This is hard for me because, like, LeBron is my favorite player, and he's going against my favorite team. Yeah. I mean, luckily, like, in terms of basketball, Kobe was my favorite player and he played on my favorite team, so I didn't really have this conundrum. The closest thing I compared to was, like, when Peyton Manning would play Baltimore. That was always rough, but I always kind of found myself, like, if we were going to lose to anybody, at least it's Peyton. I kind of feel like that way with Brian, but I also want the Grizzlies to make it to the NBA Finals. As oh, well. So it's like, it's a, t- it's a super big toss-up. I mean, Bron's had his moment. Bron's gone. He's got his rings. It's just the Grizzlies' turn. So, I, I get that. Honestly, either way, I'm happy. I, I like, Of course, the Lakers are my favorite team, but I really like the Grizzlies. I would love to see them go far because, you know, if they don't make it out the first round, everybody and their mama is going to be clowning them and talking about them, especially with how much stuff they talk this season. So, I don't want the Grizzlies to have to go through that. Exactly. But yeah, we got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to look at the first round matchups from the Eastern and Western Conference ahead of the start of the NBA playoffs and give our first round predictions. But of course, we're going to start off with the NFL. We're going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens edition of Odell Beckham Jr. as well as my main man, linebacker Devin White's trade request and try to find the teams that are the best fit if he is in fact traded. But before we get to any of that, please should check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for a Exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, as we do each show, we're opening things up with the college football player spotlight. And instead of talking about a player in the 2023 NFL Draft, let's talk about some players from the 2022 NFL Draft. Since this week I released my annual 2022 NFL Draft review, for those of you who don't know, the, in that um, article, essentially I picked the three best players and the three most disappointing players from each round of the draft and so for this i thought it'd be cool to kind of look back and just ethan so if you had to pick a player who most impressed you out of this rookie class and one who most disappointed you who would you say fit those bills most impressed i'm gonna go offense and defense most impressed on offense i would say kenneth walker most on defense i would say sauce Gardner. Uh, on deep on um, from the most disappointing I think I'm going to be honest defensively I'm going to go Trayvon Walker and offensively I think I'm going to go I'm probably going to go with just the quarterback class in general yeah, it uh, it was not pretty. Um, for me, as always, y'all can go ahead to the export.net and see the whole list. Um, but if I had to break it down offensively, I think I'd probably go with Brock Purdy, just because I mean everybody kind of loves that underdog story, and I mean when you're Mister Relevant, the last pick of the draft, it's hard enough to see the field. Nonetheless, as a quarterback. But not only did he see the field a bunch, but played relatively well. And looks like he's going to earn the starting job. So, I mean, it was really impressive to see what he was able to do. 
Um, and then defensively, it's a few ways that I can go. I think I would give the nod to Tariq Woolen. Fifth round pick corner. I mean, had five picks as a rookie. Really kind of sparked some faith in the Legion. Well, the form, what formerly known as the Legion of Boom, but the Seahawks secondary. And I mean, for the past few years, it has been rough going for the Seahawks defensively. And I think Tariq Woolen's presence really kind of showed that he could play on the NFL level and give them reasons for hope. Uh, in terms of being players I was disappointed in, Trayvon Walker as well. I mean, if you guys read the story, you know my thoughts on him. And it's not that he had a bad rookie season, but when you're the first overall pick, you're expected to go crazy. And you look at his year was just kind of mad, but then you see Aiden Hutchinson was terrific. Ahmad Garner was great. Uh, Derek Seeley showed potential when he was healthy. And then Kayvon Thibodeau was also really good as well. So I think in a redo, it's safe to say Trayvon Walker wouldn't be the first overall pick. And then um, an offensive player that was disappointing... I think I'm going to go ahead and say this is tough because this was, it was quite a few. Um, I'm going to say Ed Ingram, which hurts me to say he's an offensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings. But more importantly, he's a former LSU Tiger. He allowed 11 sacks this year, which was the most in the league. And so everybody knows LSU was my team. I'm rooting for everybody who came from the Bayou. But his, his rookie year was rough. But, again, you can check out the full article at export.net. Be sure to read it. Let me know what you think. And, all right, let's go ahead and get into the real, uh, the crux of the show. Starting off with a retirement. 12-year uh, veteran defensive tackle Jerry McCoy has announced that he is officially retired from the NFL. One of my all-time favorite defensive tackles. Um, So, hate to see him go especially because in his last few years he didn't get much of an opportunity to show what he can do but what he did in his prime days in tampa were pretty remarkable yeah jerry mccoy was a bad dude uh as a defensive as a defensive line fan like he like you said like in his prime in tampa he had like some real dominant years yeah good times i mean because i mean for a long time the Bucks were not exactly a good team, but they did have good players. Gerald McCoy was one of their best players. Um, kind of helped pave the way for guys like Vita Vey to kind of take over that D-line. Um, all right, let's move on to some other roster moves, such as Bud Dupree signing a one-year $5 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons, who have been busy this week after trading for former third overall pick cornerback Jeff Okuda, sending a fifth-round pick to the way of the Detroit Lions. The Falcons have been making some moves so far this offseason whether it be the two moves we just mentioned signing Calais Campbell bringing in linebacker Caden Ellis giving big money to Jesse Bates it's clear that defense has been a big priority for them this offseason do you think that they've made enough moves to make their defense formidable or do you think they're still a piece or two away from really being a threat I think they might be outside of Jesse Bates they might be like a star piece away because like Calais Campbell, he's a good addition, but he isn't that star level caliber defense alignment like he was in his like younger years because he he's an elder statesman. Um, Bud Dupree, I'm glad he's not in the Titans uniform. I wanted him to go back to Pittsburgh, but he's not a star level player. Like I think the thing that they they might miss on their defense is like that one true like game changer whether it's a D lineman or a linebacker or an edge player but I think I think their defense will still be good I just think that'll be the thing that like 
that can take them to the top, whether they if they're able to get it in a draft or um, make a trade if they can't get them a Marcy Stakes. Who knows? Yeah, that would be interesting. I think that that eighth overall pick is going to be spent on a defensive player. Since they did trade for Jeff Akuda, my last mock, I believe I had them getting cornerback Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. I think they're probably going to look at pass rusher now, which makes total sense because still, like you said, even adding Calais, who I love, and Bud Dupree, I don't think that makes their defensive front a scary one. Their secondary looks a billion times better, but their defensive front could still use some juice. Uh, speaking of some defensive fronts, your Tennessee Titans, or at least yours for now, uh, re-signed star defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons to a four-year $94 million extension. Um, and it's going to make pretty good money, 23.5 mil per season, a lot of guaranteed money up front. With the bag that he just got, do you think that this officially makes him the face of the Titans' defense? I mean, I think he was the face before he even got the bag. Really? You I, think he was over Kevin? I think, I think these past two seasons – made him the face of their defense. I think Kevin Bayard was the most, just the most recognizable because he had been the face of their defense for, like, years. But I think these past two seasons, like, Kevin Bayard's production hasn't been, like, bad, but he's definitely declined. And as Jeffrey – like, Jeffrey Simmons is a top-five defensive tackle in the NFL. Right. And when you have that level of status, I think – that makes you like the face of a defense. I could be wrong, but that's just how I feel personally. I think I would say, yeah, I think now he's the face of the defense, but I would still say that because Kevin Bayard had been, like you said, the most recognizable and also the most con- uh, consistent producer, especially because not this past season, but season before he was really, really good. I think that I don't know if I say that Jeff had already overtaken him, but he was definitely starting to get a lot more buzz league-wide as opposed to just with the Titans or within the AFC South. Everybody was starting to recognize just how good uh, Simmons was becoming. But now I think for sure he's the face, especially if for some reason Kevin Bayard ends up getting cut or traded um, because he already said he's not taking a pay cut, which I wouldn't do either. But as of right now, I would say that it is Big Jeff's team. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to Baltimore, who made a splash move at wide receiver, signing Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year deal that could be up go up to $18 million with incentives. Um, after this deal was announced, I believe it was Odell who posted a screenshot of him and Lamar Jackson on FaceTime, and then they were uh, caught kicking it together in Miami. Uh, yesterday at OBJ's opening presser, he mentioned that he didn't get any assurances that Lamar was going to be there, but said he'd love to work with him. With everything that's been going on this offseason and then add on top the addition of Odell, do you think that this move solidifies that Lamar will be the Baltimore Ravens quarterback come week one? I think it does. Um, simply because I think you've you at least shown Lamar that you're willing to like improve to get the to make his situation better. I think a big thing for years in the past with Baltimore is like they would improve the defense, they would improve the outline, they would improve the running game, but they never improved their wide receiver. And 
when you have a quarterback, like you do need to make improvements at wide receiving. I think that was something that Baltimore hadn't done. And at least now you you make a splash sign and getting Odell. I don't think I don't think Odell will be wide receiver one. I still think it'll be either Rashad Bateman or Devin Duvernay whenever when they get healthy. But it can help drastically just because Odell is a respected commodity from a wide receiver standpoint. Like, Odell is going to get attention just because it's Odell, even if it isn't the Odell from the New York Giants. But, like, me and you talked about off-air. If you could get L.A. Rams Odell, that still could be a really productive player. And that could help help the overall team, and it could help Lamar, and it can show, like, hey, we're willing to invest in you because we made this move for Odell. Now, now stay. Right. I'm going to disagree with you on the tip of, like, Devin DuVernay being ahead of Odell on the dev chart. Even if he is healthy, there's no way that's happening. But I could see Rashad Bateman was drafted with the intent of having him be the number one wide receiver. And I think having Odell come... It really just depends on health because when Bate was healthy, Rashad Bain was really, really good this past season. But unfortunately, a foot injury knocked him out, I believe, like a month and a half into the season. And then it just seemed like a domino effect with the rest of the wide receiver room. So I think to start off, Odell is going to be wide receiver one. But I think as the season goes on, I think that Rashad Bateman, especially as he gets healthier, I think he's going to start drawing some more attention and really start getting those uh, number one receiver reps, especially because him and uh, Lamar Jackson already have familiarity with one another. And I was telling you after the move was made, I like the move a lot, but I still feel like Baltimore should not be done at wide receiver because I love Odell. Everybody and mama know I love Odell. I'm probably going to give me a jersey, but Odell is coming off of his second ACL surgery. He's on the wrong side of 30. And more importantly, he's only on a one-year deal. Who's to say that he's not going to want to, you know, who's to say he's not going to resign with Baltimore at the end of this season? And so because of that, you have to have a backup plan. And considering your other two receivers who are at the top of the death chart are also coming off of serious injuries as well, Baltimore for sure has to add another receiver in the draft. Maybe not the 22nd overall pick, but they got to make sure that they have some weapons, whether it's going to be Lamar throwing it to them or somebody else. But I sent you, um, continuing on the wide receiver conversation, I sent this to you, yeah, I think yesterday. And I'm not going to lie, my still, feelings are still a little bit hurt by it. But we all know that the Denver Broncos wide receivers, Jerry, Judy, and Corlin Sutton, had their names brought up in trade conversations quite a bit. However, there was a report that came out that the Ravens were very close to trading for Corlin Sutton before the Denver Broncos decided to back out. In your opinion, do you think that the Ravens would have been better off had they been able to trade for Corlin Sutton instead of signing Odell? I would say yes because of everything that you just stated. Odell's coming back from his second ACL injury. He's he's on the wrong side of 30. Like, Odell, Odell, where where he's at in his career, like, he... Even though he'll probably be thrust into the number one wideout role in Baltimore, I don't think he's a number one wideout level capable player anymore because of all those things. But Corlin Sutton, he's still a young up and coming receiver that has wide receiver one potential. And when you think about it from the context of like, oh, you have a quarterback Lamar Jackson, 
that makes a lot of plays that go off script. What's a better weapon to have than a big body receiver like Corlin Sutton that when you scramble out of the pocket, you can just throw it up and he can make contested catches. So I think they would have been better with Corlin Sutton than signing Odell because honestly, given whatever the situation was, you might have been able to trade for Corlin Sutton and still sign Odell anyway. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, like I said, don't get twisted, anybody. I love me some Odell. He's one of my all-time favorite LSU Tigers. But I think with Cortland Sun, you have more security. And I know this past year wasn't his best um, with the Broncos. But, I mean, I feel like a change of scenery could have been possibly good for him. He would be the undisputed number one guy in Baltimore, provide some really size and power on the outside for Baltimore, which we wouldn't haven't had in a while. And, again, the contract situation is better because you have at least two or three more years left on his deal as opposed to Odell where you don't have that security and you don't know what's going to come next after this season. And, plus, I want to say he's making less money this year than Odell is this year. I could be wrong. But, still, I think that that would have been the better overall option. And it low-key hurts my feelings to know that we were close to doing it before the Broncos trade changed their mind. But, I mean, I get it in their since like you want to have some continuity on offense despite having new coaching staff but had Baltimore guy had the chance to get Cortland Sutton I think that that would have been the better overall move but all right let's talk about speaking of moves it seems like quite a few teams are looking to move up in the NFL draft more specifically with the third overall pick trying to convince the Arizona Cardinals to make a trade with them uh, the Arizona Cardinals in a recent press conference stated that at least six teams have reached out to them with an attempt to move up. Now, presumably, if a team is moving all the way up to three, it's for a quarterback. So of the possible teams that we know that are still looking at a quarterback, who do you think is going to be the one that actually makes the jump? Because if I had to bet money, I would say the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I would too, um, just because the thing with the Colts is, granted, I don't. I don't value the wide receivers as highly as other people, but everything else on their team is like play at least playoff caliber ready. Like their defense, they had they didn't have as great of a year as they had in the past, but their defense can be a def- uh, playoff caliber defense. That we all know what Jonathan Taylor can do when he's healthy and the O line's healthy. The only thing that's missing is a quarterback. So I think it will be the coast as well. I don't know anymore about that defense, especially with Stephon Gilmore gone. They don't have Yannick anymore, anymore. And we don't know what Shaquille Leonard's going to look like when he comes back. But I get what you're saying. Like, the Colts are a competent enough team to where quarterback is their biggest – Need And I I would say that of the other teams that could trade up, I think they're the most desperate to do it, Um, especially because they're in a winnable division. And their offense overall is not terrible. And so I think that because they are at the fourth overall pick, it won't be a major downgrade for the Cardinals. They can still get whoever they want, which I think it's probably safe to say they want a defensive player. And maybe the Colts, in their desperation, will give up a little bit more than other teams would just because they need that quarterback. Like, I know they signed Gardner Minshew, um, but I don't think their plan is to have Gardner start in week one. 
like unless maybe they do take an Anthony Richardson and like they want to give him time to develop but other than that I don't think Minshew was brought in with the plan that he was going to be their QB1 but all right let's go ahead and move on to some more trade talks my main man Devin White speaking of LSU Tigers that I love has uh, reportedly requested a trade from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as he enters the final year of his contract. While the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have stated time and time again they have no intentions of trading Devin White, White is reportedly fed up and wants a change. Now, I don't think he's going to end up getting traded. If I'm Tampa, I'm not trading him unless I'm getting like a godfather-type offer. You got to really make it worth my while. But as you know, we love to do, we love to look at different scenarios. So what we're going to do now is list the top three realistic fits for Devin White if he actually were to be traded. So Ethan, you want to give your three first? You want me to go? I love how you do realistic. It has got to be realistic because I would gladly say Baltimore. Just imagine a trio of you got Patrick Queen, Devin White, and Roquan Smith. Oh, yeah, that would be that would be, be amazing. Oof. I'm just, I just love the fact that you said realistic because I feel like there was a slight to what I said. No, no, no. There. Really, I it was more so for me because I would oh, say Baltimore okay. <laughs> and and be cool. I know Baltimore is not going to pay two middle linebackers 20 mil a year, which is what That's Devin true. wants and has earned. But it, it, I try to say realistic because we could just throw pull any three teams out of the air and try to make it stick. So it's got to be realistic. Okay. Uh, we can alternate. All right, bet. You want to go, so, or you want me to go? Uh, I'll go. My number, my number three. I think me and you might be in agreement at some point on this list. Is the Dallas Cowboys. Um, we know that their front seven is great. We know that Michael Parsons is a generational talent. We know that now with the addition of Stephon Gilmore alongside Trayvon Diggs, their secondary is dangerous. But I think one of the one weaknesses of their defense is their middle linebacker because Clayton Vanderish, he's a, a serviceable piece, but he's older and he's coming up and he like he always gets like nagging injuries. So I think that if you they can find a way to insert Devin White I think that that'll take, that'll make their defense like what's that's already great a thousand times better. I feel that. Uh, my number three is the Denver Broncos, and I'm explaining why. Everybody talks about how great the Saints' offense was during Sean Payton's time there, which is true. However, their defense usually, well, in the later stages post to 2017, was really good, mainly because of Demario Davis. Demario Davis doesn't get a lot of national attention, but Demario Davis is a bad, bad dude and pretty much was the quarterback of that defense. And in Devin White, not only do you get a star linebacker, but you get a player who's comparable to Demario Davis, who is even more athletic and younger. And you look at this Broncos defense, Patrick Sartan is holding it down on the back end as well as Justin Simmons. Um, you just brought in Zach Allen, who okay is coming off a really good year. You just paid a whole bunch of money to Randy Gregor in a move that you and I didn't like, but hey, you gave him the money you're expecting him to produce. You get a guy like Devin White to put into the middle of that defense, and now you're dominating on all three levels. Yeah, for me, my number two is the Tennessee Titans. Um, I know they just gave Jeffrey Simmons the bag. I know that cap space is um, 
in the air, but you, you're in a position to where, I mean, if you want, I say if a team's interested in Derrick Henry, that might be able to be something that you could do to relieve cap space to make the room. And, I mean, they lost David Long, who, in my opinion, was one of the more, like, stepped on good middle linebackers in the NFL when he went to Miami. So, Feel yeah. that. I could see that. Um, number two for me is the Buffalo Bills. I mean, you just lost Tremaine Edmonds, and I will argue to the end of time that Devin White is better than Tremaine Edmonds. Now, yes, you're going to face a similar situation next offseason in terms of paying him, but I think that, again, Devin White is more than worth 18 to 20 mil that he's going to be looking for. I mean, once you get him on that defense, I mean, he's used to running with a 3-4 defense, and then you get to pair him up with the likes of a Von Miller, kind of similar to what it was like with Shaq Barrett in the years that the Bucks defense was just running through everybody. I think that the Bills make a lot of sense. My number one was the Buffalo Bills for everything that you just said. Yeah, my number one is the Cowboys for everything you said. Now, do I want to see him on the Cowboys? Absolutely not. But if I'm the Cowboys, I would do just about anything to try to make that shake. Would I give up, what, the 28th overall pick for it? I don't know. But either 20 or 26, I don't remember which pick they have. But I would, I would definitely, you know, flaunt it if that's what it would take. Because, I mean, I would take Devin White over any linebacker in this year's draft class ten times over. And it's not like any – I highly doubt any middle linebacker is going to go in the first round of this year's draft. So, I mean, why not get one of the best in the entire league if you can? But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. As great as the Cincinnati Bengals offense has been, it seems that they may be without one of their key pieces in Joe Mixon after he is recharged with aggravated menacing by the city of Cincinnati. Now, the charges were originally uh, put against him back in February, I believe, but after new evidence, the charges are coming down on him again. While the Cincinnati Bengals say that they are aware of the situation and monitoring it, there is no guarantee that they're going to keep him around after all of the drama. So, believable or buffoonery. Joe Mixon will be on the Bengals roster come week one. I'm going to say buffoonery. Um, I think even before some of these legal issue stuff came out, I think that he was already kind of being pushed to the chopping block. And, and now that this legal stuff is like appeared and reappeared, I think, I think he's out of there. Yeah, I'm a, I agree as well. I'm also calling buffoonery just because, if not just for the legal issues, but last year wasn't a great year for him with the exception of that uh, Falcons game. Where I think he had like four first-half touchdowns, something ridiculous like that. And, I mean, let's be honest, the Bengals got some bags they got to pay. Um, they got Joe Burrow's deal coming up. They got to pay T. Higgins soon and then Jamar Chase right after that. So they're going to have to clear up some space, and I could see Joe Mixon being on the being on the outs because of it. All right, let's go ahead and keep things in the AFC, kind of looking ahead to this NFL draft. We talked about the Indianapolis Colts being a team that obviously needs a quarterback, and many thought that the Houston Texans were in that same vein. However, Adam Schefter is reporting that it's not exactly a lock that the Texans are going to take a quarterback with the second overall pick. Reportedly, they're not exactly in love with any of the quarterbacks in this class. So, believable or buffoonery, the Houston Texans will go other than QB at the second pick. I'm going to say buffoonery as well because I think 
I don't know much about this next year's class, but I don't think that it's that much better than this one. Yeah, um, Caleb Williams out of USC is gaining a lot of traction. You got Drake Mays at UNC. But those are the two really, really big guys. After that, it's a bit of a drop-off. And, I mean, we still don't have a clear-cut number one overall pick. I mean, whether it be Bryce Young, who everybody thought it was going to be, maybe C.J. Stroud, or Anthony Richardson could kind of come off the top rope. But I think that if you are the Texans, you have to bring in a quarterback. You can't make all this noise by bringing in D'Amico Ryans. You know, you get that extra draft pick. You know, you, you're active in free agency. You give Laramie Tunsil all this money, and then Davis Mills is your week one starter. You, you just can't do it unless they know something about Davis Mills that none of us do. So I think even if you don't, you aren't in love necessarily with the prospect, I think they still end up taking the quarterback just so they can have something to build upon. And if it don't work, it don't work. You move on. But you have to bring in a new quarterback into Houston. And honestly, if it ain't going to be Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers, you got to look at the draft. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, Joe Douglas, the general manager of the uh, New York Jets, seems very confident that he will, in fact, be a Jet sooner rather than later. However, with the reported um, draft capital but that the Green Bay Packers are asking for, which includes a 2024 first-round pick and a second-round pick this year, it seems that the Jets are having a bit of trepidation. Reportedly, Jets owner is scared about giving up that capital since uh, Aaron Rodgers' comments regarding that he was 90% sure that he wanted to retire before going on his darkness retreat. Well, I'm sure at some point they'll be able to work something out, but believable or buffoonery, Aaron Rodgers will be a Jet before the NFL draft, which is in two weeks. Buffoonery, uh I think the only way it's going to happen is it's either going to happen on draft day some way or it's going to happen after the draft um, commences. I, If I'm the Packers, I would want it to happen before the draft or at least during the draft so I can at least know what I'm getting and know what picks I can use. But I'm, I'll say believable just because it seems like Aaron's not playing for the Packers anymore. I think that ship has sailed. And the Jets have put all their eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket. But I totally understand. Like, you don't – I wouldn't want to risk giving up two high draft picks for somebody who might not even play after this season. I totally understand. But I feel like if you're the Jets at this point, you kind of have to – you got to pretty much do – whatever to bring him in and I think that they'll get something done before the draft it's just a matter of will whatever they give up prove to be worth it when we look back on this a year or so from now but all right let's go ahead and keep things in the south I spoke on the Saints defense a while ago as much as great as Demario Davis is the same could be said if not more for defensive end Cam Jordan who is on the wrong side of 30 but still has high hopes for the remaining years of his career he tweeted out earlier this week oh or I retire in black and gold with mutual understanding but I'd rather play hella more years in black and gold and rise out with the black and gold Super Bowl or two in the next few years I think that 
we would both agree that the Saints at this very moment look like the best team in the NFC South, but the Super Bowl is a whole nother ball game. So believable or buffoonery, this New Orleans Saints will win a Super Bowl in, let's say, the next five years. When I'm going to be... No, that's my short answer. Um, because I feel like whenever we ask those type of questions, it's always going to be a no in my mind. Like, even if you were to put the Kansas City Chiefs, I would still say no. Um, just because it's like the game of football is any given Sunday. You could be, we've seen before where teams are the better team on paper. They go into a game and they lose. Um, but I do think that the Saints can make a run to at least be in the playoffs for a couple of years before he potentially hangs them up. But I don't see them winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm going to say believable as well. I'll say this. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, you never know what's going to happen on a week-to-week basis, nonetheless, with regards to the Super Bowl. But I would feel more comfortable saying the Chiefs will do it before I would say the Saints. Like, even though the Saints have made improvements this offseason, I'm not, for lack of a better word, I'm not scared of the Saints. I think that the Saints absolutely have a chance to win the NFC South and make it to the playoffs. I still wouldn't go as far as to say that I think they're really a Super Bowl contender yet. I feel like nothing against Derek Carr, but the addition of Derek Carr isn't making me be like, oh, yeah, the Saints are deadly. You know what I'm saying? Even yeah. though the West Eastern, I mean, not Eastern, I'm sorry, the um, NFC isn't as loaded as the AFC is, or at least as many people expect the AFC to be this upcoming year. So for right now, I'm going to say buffoonery. All right, last one. We just You and I both mentioned the Chiefs. A big reason why there's so much faith in them is because of quarterback Patrick Mahomes, two-time Super Bowl winner, two-time Super Bowl. Uh, is he a two-time Super Bowl MVP? I believe so. Yeah, I think he is. Whatever. Anyway, he has a pretty extensive resume. However, former NFL quarterback Carson Palmer believes that Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes right now. Um, in the quote, he said, I know Patrick is phenomenal, but I just think Joe's more consistent. He's more consistent. He's more accountable to run the system and plays that are called and not feel like, well, we he didn't win last game and get open for me, so I'm going to do it with my feet. And then before you know it, you're sacked for a four-yard loss because you tried to make two or three guys miss. Joe is just, talk about not having a weakness. Mentally strong, physically tough, accurate, can throw it far enough, fast enough gets the ball out quick and then he can actually do a lot with his legs so let's take out the Super Bowls because obviously when we compare players particularly quarterbacks Super Bowls are a big part of the conversation believable or buffoonery if you take Super Bowls out of the equation Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes it pains me to say it because I actually like Joe Burrow more than I like Patrick Mahomes um, but he's not like Joe Patrick I think both of those guys are generational talents at quarterback but I think as of right now like until things unless something drastically changes Patrick Mahomes is the apex of quarterback in the NFL right now I personally think Joe Burrow is firmly planted right behind him at number two. So because of that, I still say Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback. 
I agree. Um, I'll also say buffoonery. I don't have to go on a whole rant about how much I love Joe Burrow. Y'all, y'all listened long enough. But I would say no because yes, Joe can move around like he can create yards with his legs. But Patrick Mahomes is, for lack of a better word, he's a magician back there. Like if he can make one man miss. He, the way he's able to not only roll out of the pocket, make at least one man miss, and then make those crazy, insane throws that no one should be making, I think that's what really shows that Patrick Mahomes is the guy. Because I think if you put any other quarterback in that situation, I don't think they're able to do what Patrick Mahomes can do. I think far and away, Patrick is the most talented quarterback in the league. And with Joe, Joe is great. And I think he's terrific, but in terms of talent, he can do a lot of great things, but he can't do what Patrick Mahomes does. I've seen Patrick Mahomes do what Joe Burrow does. I have not seen what Joe Burrow do what Patrick Mahomes does. And so because of that, I would say buffoonery. But like you said, like I don't think it's a major gap between the two, but I still would say that Patrick Mahomes is still QB1 in the NFL. And like I said, Everybody else can argue two, three, five, but number one, I think it's solidified with Pat. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of, uh, I'm sorry, wrong thing. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Mamba players of the play-in. So starting out of the Western Conference, I got LeBron James, 45 minutes in that overtime thriller against the Timberwolves, dropped 30 points, 10 boards, six assists. He made it abundantly clear that he was not missing the playoffs this year, so I got to show love to Bron. Yeah, I got LeBron as well. All right, my Eastern Mamba of the play-in has to be Zach Levine. I know you said that you didn't watch that game, but, I mean, the fact is for much of the game, the entire uh, first half at least, the Toronto Raptors were dominating. And then Zach Levine, I think he had like seven points going into halftime, coming out of the break, whole second half he combined for like, I want to say 32 points, really put the team on his back and shut the Raptors down to help come that 19-point deficit. So I'm going to give him the nod. With a very close second is uh, Dyer DeRozan. I think that's how you pronounce that baby girl name because the fact that all that scream, I think 36 screams (laughs) statistically, and the Raptors only shot 50% from the free throw line. Shout out to her. I hope that her dad changes his mind and lets her go to the Heat game. Yeah, I'm going to say Zach Levine as well. And that whole story about DeMar's daughter is hilarious. It is so funny. Because I remember looking at the game. I think I had it on mute. I don't remember what I was doing. And I saw like them put the camera on the little girl. And I'm like, what's going on? So I turned on the sound, and I hear her screaming. And then, like, Doris Burke was explaining. I was like, oh, okay. And so, yeah. Shout outs. Let her go to the game, DeMar. Come on. It it can't hurt. If she's a good luck charm, you got to use all the good luck charms you got. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our first round playoff predictions because it's always fun to predict stuff, especially considering the last few player in games take place tonight with the first round officially getting kicked off tomorrow. So let's go ahead and start in the Eastern Conference. As of Well, let's start off at the top. The Milwaukee Bucks will either face the... Um, my brain is so off. Either they're going to face the Chicago Bulls or the Miami Heat. Let's start here. Who wins the, tonight's game, Heat or Bulls? I think I'm going to go Heat. Uh, 
I think I'm going to go Bulls. Okay. Fair enough. All right, so you got Bulls and Bucks first round. Who wins that series and in how many games? Bucks in – I'll say Bucks in maybe five. I'm pretty much same boat, just different team. I got Heat in five. All right, moving on to the Boston Celtics taking on – the Atlanta Hawks. I got Celtics in five. I got Celtics in four. Would not shock me. All right. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers versus the Brooklyn Nets. I think this series is going to be a bit better than people are anticipating. I got, but I got 76ers in six. Same. All right. Last but not least, the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the New York Knicks. I got Cavs in seven. Same. All right, let's go move on to the Western Conference. Tonight, it will be the Minnesota Timberwolves taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder for the rights to face the number one seed. Uh, oh, my gosh, my brain is so off. Denver Nuggets. Uh, so, who's going to wind up winning tonight's game? I'm siding with the Timberwolves. Uh, no, Rudy Gobert, Jake McDaniel still, McDaniel still isn't playing. I'm going to shock you. I'm going OKC. Okay, eh, I don't think that'd be too much of a shock. I think that the teams are pretty evenly matched across the board, especially with Rudy Gobert out. I mean, Cat has a chance to be effective if, you know, he can actually stay on the court. But that still remains to be seen. All right, so you got Nuggets versus Thunder. Who wins that series and in how many games? I'm going to say Nuggets and four. Um, I said Timberwolves. Assuming Rudy Gobert comes back, I said Nuggets in six. All right, the series that everybody's talking about, the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Los Angeles Lakers. I got Grizzlies in seven. I have Grizzlies in six or seven. Fair. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Sacramento Kings versus the Golden State Warriors. First off, congratulations to Mike Brown for being named Coach of the Year. Well-deserved. But with that being said, I got Warriors in six. Yeah, me too. All right, finally, we have the Phoenix Suns versus the Los Angeles Clippers. I think not having PG is going to hurt the Clippers a lot. So right now, I'm going to say Suns in six. Sign. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some roster news, starting with the Los Angeles Lakers, who have signed Tristan Thompson and guard Shaq Harrison for the postseason. Probably won't be there much longer, but, you know, it's a start. Uh, and the big head coaching news coming on the same day. First, it was announced that the Houston Rockets have decided to decline the fourth-year option of head coach Steven Silas, um, ending his three-year tender with the team. And then just a few hours later, uh, Detroit Pistons head coach Dwayne Casey announced that he is done coaching and is going to move on to a front office role. So between the Detroit Pistons and the Houston Rockets, which do you think is the more appealing job if you're a coach? It's hard because they have, in my opinion, they they have a lot of similarities in what they offer. They both have young talents. They both have a chance to get a high draft pick in this year's draft. Um, I'm going to give the nod to the Pistons mm. because at least their young guys don't show signs of immaturity. 
That's fair. Yeah, that that's really fair. I I think I would go with the Rockets. Because like you said, I mean, on so many levels, they're very similar. And while the Rockets' immaturity is obviously bad, I don't know. I just feel like with the Rockets, it, they feel like they have more potential. Like, I think because we were talking about it when uh, Kenny Atkinson it was announced that he was interviewing there. I think because he has a lot of experience dealing with young teams, I think he could kind of help get them together. And who knows, maybe they're a veteran or two away from actually kind of getting it together and starting to, like, focus more so on basketball and getting their priorities in order. And not to say that I don't think that the Pistons have potential, but, I mean, Kay Cunningham is coming off a very serious injury. Jay Nivey had kind of an up-and-down rookie year, and then James Wiseman is finally starting to show why he was such a high pick by the Warriors a few years back. But at this very moment, I think I feel more excited about what the Rockets have on their roster than the Pistons. So I think I would go there. But it's not, like you said, it's not like a crazy big, difference between the two but all right let's go ahead and talk some of the biggest injury news you touched on it a little bit earlier but Jaden McDaniels of the Minnesota Timberwolves suffered a broken hand after punching a wall in frustration versus the Pelicans and it's looking like his playoff tenure or at least availability is in doubt moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies it has been announced that uh Steven Adams is going to likely miss the postseason um, due to his injured right knee. He underwent stem cell injections about a month ago and has been out with that PCL sprain since late uh, January. Big loss for sure, but Ethan, how big do you think this loss really is going to be without him on the court? I think it's going to be big in, in spurts, in moments. Like I think against the Lakers, it's going to be big simply because He's another guy that you could have guard Anthony Davis. Um, and that way you can avoid, you could have avoided putting Jaron Jackson Jr. on him in one-on-one defensive assignments. Like, the plan is, I think, to still do that with Xavier Tillman. Mm-hmm. But I think Steven Adams is a better, um, he's a more adept defender from the context of, like, he has the size to compete with AD size. Because Xavier Tillman is like six eight guarding centers, um, and then I think if we were to advance, let's say the next series, I think it depends on who we met, who they will match up against. Because the next series, they will either play Golden State or they will play the Kings. If they play the Kings, it will be it's detrimental because the Kings have Demontis Sabonis mm-hmm. who. Is another all-star in the center. But if they play the Warriors, I don't think it is as detrimental because the Warriors like to play small ball and they'll eventually play him off the court anyway. And so then you move to the next round, whether it, let's say like the next, the Western Conference Finals, you play um, the Nuggets. Steven Adams is going to be crucial because of Nikola Jokic. Or let's say they play the Suns. Steven Adams will be big because even though he's not a top offensive weapon, but DeAndre Ayton is a 
a very capable offensive piece at center. So I don't think his – I think it'll be big. The main reason it's huge is because when you have Steven Adams at center, you get Jaron Jackson Jr. out of foul trouble because he doesn't have to play on-ball, one-on-one defense nearly as much. He gets to roam around and just be a shot blocker and play free safety. And that's when he's at his best, and that's when the Grizzlies are at their best defensively. All right. So, in the corresponding move, after this was announced, it was reported that they waived uh, Kennedy Chandler and decided to uh, sign uh, G League superstar uh, Kenneth Lofton to a four-year $7 million deal. Didn't he drop 42 in the regular season finale? Yep, 42-14. That's what I thought. Had a terrific game, but that's a whole other ball game when you're playing when most of the starters on the opposing team are benched. But what are you expecting out of Kenneth Lofton since he's going to have a much bigger role with uh, Steven Adams out? Absolutely nothing. I don't think he's going to have a bigger role. I think they just did it because they needed the extra body in the front court. I'll say this. I don't think that he's going to, like, drop – 20 a game but I think he is going to see a bit more playing time than expected especially because at some point you have to spell Xavier Tillman because Brandon Clark is out and I could see him seeing seeing a, <clears throat> a good amount of time on the court like I said I don't think he's going to like put up crazy numbers but I do think that he's gonna it's gonna be more than the bare minimum let's just say that but all right, one more thing before we move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Prior to the Hawks play-in win against the Miami Heat, it was announced that the Hawks brass had given the front office the green light to entertain trade proposals based around Trey Young. When asked about those possibilities, Trey Young responded with the "It is what it is," and honestly. Who knows what's going to happen? But do you think that it is for the best for the Hawks to trade Trey Young, or do you think that they should continue to try to build around him um, and see where things go? Um, I'm somewhere in the I'm like in the middle on this because I think Trey Young is a great talent. Obviously, he is. He's a guy that led the NBA in the six per game for the last two seasons. He. He can shoot from distance. He has a lot of great offensive capability, like a lot of great offensive capabilities. But I think, one, he's such a liability on defense, and he doesn't seem to be like – he's the best player, but he isn't a he isn't a leader. Like, and I think this speaks volumes, where it's like – can the team be led by Trey Young to reach their potential when Trey Young has been shown to like be a a really good leader in the locker room? I feel that. I look at it like it has to be kind of like when we were talking about Devin White. It has to be a really, really good offer because honestly, if you trade Trey Young, if you're the Hawks, more than likely you're probably going to head back to that rebuilding stage unless you go like a superstar for superstar type deal and I don't necessarily see that happening so it's a weird place to be in if you are the Hawks I feel like if they like look like you said if you think they end up getting sweeped by the Celtics then I could see it being time for a change because yes they have talent on the roster but like you said it's not like Trey Young is a proven leader and it's not like they've had to stay in playoff success with him 
And I mean, it could end up costing a lot of people more jobs if they don't try to make a move now as opposed to riding it out with Trey and still facing the same issues. So I'm with you. I'm kind of like on the fence about either option. I would just look at it like if they can at least push the Celtics, I think you try to keep him at least the next year's trade deadline. But if it's just an easy sweep, then I think that that's kind of going to open the door to go ahead and make that move. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery, starting with a team that originally drafted Trey Young before doing the draft day trade of him for Luka Doncic. I think it's safe to say it has worked out pretty well. However, their decision to uh, essentially cost themselves a shot at the play-in is not being as well received. Uh, following their final games of the season, they decided to not only play Luka for one quarter, but bench several of their starters, including Kyrie Irving, which has cost them a $750,000 fine from the NBA for quote-unquote embarrassing the integrity of the league. But it seemed like Jason Kidd, their head coach, thought it was the right thing to do and saying, these are the decisions that are made from the bosses and we got to follow them. You got to trust Cuban and Nico to put the pieces together to put us in a position to win the championship. And so that's just starting the process today, a la tanking. Believable or buffoonery, the Mavericks made the right decision, costing themselves a shot at the play-in. I'm going to be completely honest. I think they did. And the reason I say I think they did is because we don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. Like, we haven't really heard reports of him saying that he's going to stay. And we also know that Kyrie has said to three different teams, I'm going to stay here. And then he left. Right. So with that being the caveat, if you're able to then, like, miss the playoffs, because honestly, regardless if they made it or not, the Mavericks were going to get put out of the playoffs anyway by right. whoever. Some point they weren't making it to the NBA Finals. Um, so instead of going through that tumultuous offseason um, playoff run just to come out on the short end, if it means not playing like losing one game, and you might be able to potentially pair Luca with a secondary star that will want to be there and they're young, I think it's worth it. <sighs> The traditionalist, uh, the traditionalist in me is like, nah, like play, at least give it a shot. If you lose, you lose. But, I mean, obviously you made a lot of valid points because most importantly, you don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. I, at this point, I don't think he ends up staying with the Mavericks, but then that creates a conversation that we had last season, which is who's going to make the move for him. The obvious answer would be the Lakers because of his relationship with LeBron, but with the D play of D'Lo, they may not even want to make that move in looking at uh, Kyrie. So that creates a whole nother can of worms. But like I said, because I like players and teams actually trying, I, I, would, say I would say buffoonery, but long-term-wise, it makes a lot of sense because like you said, I mean, it's not like they were going to win a championship anyway, so... You might as well go ahead and start the process of getting the team right for 2023. So do what you got to do. All right, talking about uh, getting the team right, the Portland Trail Blazers, as we all know, uh, shut down Damian Lillard back in March because they knew they really weren't going to compete for anything. And they're expected to have a high lottery pick again this year. However, Damian Lillard sent a message to Portland saying, I don't have much of an appetite for building with two and three, um, two and three year guys away. 
and not really going after it, which is fair. He's over 30 years old. He's made it abundantly clear he wants to win a championship. So believable or buffoonery. The Portland Trailblazers will forego young talent to bring in a star to pair with Dane. I'm not going to lie. The, the sentiment that I have with Portland is the sentiment that I've had with Portland with anything. I'm not going to believe nothing until I see it. So I'm going to have to say buffoonery. I'm going to say believable, mainly because you can keep doing the young, bringing in young players. That makes a lot of sense for long-term options. Because, I mean, over the course of the year, those younger guys start to show what they can do. But on the other hand, it's like, you I know most teams don't think like this, but you want to do right by your guys. And Dame is one of their guys. He could have easily said years ago that he wanted to be traded, that he was done, he didn't want nothing to do with Portland. And everyone would have understood where he was coming from. But instead, he continues to stick with them and say, hey, I want to try to make this work. I want to have success here. By continuously bringing in guys who aren't ready to really take over and aren't ready to really be the guy, I think that you're doing him a disservice, especially if you're not going to trade him. And so because of that, I think that they're – I'll say this. I think they're at least going to try to bring somebody in. Will they do it? I don't know. But I think it's believable that they will at least attempt to do so as opposed to just keep drafting guys high. All right. We talked about draft picks. Well, quite a few draft picks went into the Minnesota Timberwolves trade of Rudy Gobert. I'm sure everybody's seen the video of him throwing a punch at his teammate Kyle Anderson, which led to him being suspended for their play-in game against the Los Angeles Lakers with his availability a bit in doubt for tonight's game. So it's very interesting to see what's going on with Rudy Gobert, especially considering his first year was not exactly ideal with the Timberwolves. So believable or buffoonery. Rudy Gobert will be one and done in Minnesota. I think that's believable. Yeah. I think it's believable too. But the only question is who who are you gonna send them to unless you just cut them outright? And if you're not cutting them, you're getting nowhere near what you gave up for them. And so I could see it I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying I was agreeing with you. Yeah, so it's like I could see it wind up being one of those sunk cost fallacy things like, well, we did trade all these picks for him, so maybe we'll try to make it work, but I don't know if you can make this work. So I think it's believable as well. It'll just be interesting to see what they get for him, if anything. But all right, a couple more questions before we get out of here. Um, last week we talked about the new NBA and CBA agreement where it's come that players had to play at least 65 games before they could be um, considered for awards like MVP, all NBA teams, all that good stuff. However, it doesn't seem like load management or the conversation of load management is going to go away anytime soon. In fact, an anonymous GM in interview said, if they made the, C- the schedule 60 games, players would still find a way to load manage and do it for 40 games instead. Believable or buffoonery, load management will always be a problem in the NBA. I'm going to say, I think that's believable simply because you like let's think about it from the standpoint of like the Clippers because they're 
the low management kings right now because of Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still able to make the playoffs as their load managing. And so, like, if that's the case, if we see, like, hey, we can still make the playoffs and we can load manage, like, we're going to do it. Because by the time the playoffs hit, because we've been load managing during the season, granted, the thing, the injury to Paul George was a freak accident. Mm-hmm. They say in the context of, like, the freak accident didn't happen to PG, you're bringing in a healthy Kawhi Leonard and a healthy Paul George when at the top of their game they could be at minimum top 20 players in the NBA going into a NBA postseason yeah I agree with you I totally agree with you I think you pretty much hit it on the head like if I don't have to play every game, I think a lot of players are going to have the mindset, if I don't got to play every game, I'm not going to, especially because I'm still going to get my money and my team still has a chance to contend. So I agree with you. All right, last question. So I think it's pretty safe to say that Joel Embiid is leading the MVP conversation, and rightfully so. It's been a long time coming. However, there's another big man in the conversation who feels that he's been going a bit unappreciated, and that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. In a recent interview with Bleacher Report, he said, look, I will never try to create a narrative about the work I put in, and maybe that might hurt me because I believe the last five years I've been the MVP. Do I want a third MVP? Hell effing yeah, I want a third one. We've talked about this a bit before where it's like with athletes and we're so used to them being great, we start to not appreciate them more. We don't recognize their excellence. We've seen it a lot in terms of basketball. We saw with LeBron, the MJs, the Kobe's, Steph, for example. So believable or buffoonery. Giannis Antetokounmpo's production is starting to go underappreciated. Absolutely. Because to me, I understood what Yogi's did these past two seasons, but I would have given the MVP. I would have given the MVP to Giannis, like without without a doubt, because like Giannis, like that's the that's the cost of sustaining greatness is because you're great for so long. People get used to it and get numb to it, and they don't give you the recognition that you deserve. Like. It happened to, you mentioned names. It happened to Jordan, but I think Jordan, at least for Jordan, before it fully hit him, he had occurred so many accolades and so many accomplishments that it didn't matter. But then because of it, because of Jordan, then when you bring in Kobe, it happened to Kobe early. Like, it's no way on God green earth that Steve Nash should have won two MVPs and Kobe only has, what, one? Yes. No way. And granted, I think one of, I think Steve Nash should have never won it because I think one of them should have been Shaq's and the other one should have been Kobe's. And when you brought up LeBron, from, like, we both know LeBron went on the stretch of at least at a minimum six years where he hands down was the best player in the NBA. And he only has, what, two MVPs? Hmm, I think he has four. I might be wrong. He might have four. Let me look. But I want to say it's four. 
but like still. Yeah, he has four. Okay, but still, LeBron probably still could have received two other MVPs. And as much as it pains me to say this, because he's my guy that won the award, he deserved the year that Marcus all won Defensive Player of the Year. LeBron should have won it that year because LeBron was the best defender that year, and he didn't get it because of what we said. Like sustained greatness is a is a as great as it is, it also can be a weakness because people get get um numb to your greatness. So I definitely agree. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, Giannis is amazing. It's just one of those things where you take Giannis's numbers and you put them on a different player. Like, for example, like if DeAndre Aiden was putting up these numbers, people would be talking about him being MVP. But because it is Giannis and we've come to expect him to be this lights-out superstar, we come to expect it and so we don't appreciate it as much. So, yeah, I, I agree as well. And it's, it's crazy to think that Giannis is... Giannis was in the MVP conversation for a long time, and then it just went back to a two-man race between Joel and Jokic. And no disrespect to either of them because they're both great, but it is crazy that Giannis hasn't won another MVP award. But, all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please share, check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, obviously, go Grizz. That's a big one. Um, I really hate that I'm not going to be able to go to game one. I wanted to so bad, but some stuff came up to where I couldn't, I wasn't going to have the money for the tickets. And then I was going to try to find a way to get the money, but once they got announced that they were playing the Lakers, yeah. in the words of Angel Reese, the cost went up. So I'm watching game one from the house, but I definitely plan on being in at least one of the playoff games of this series. My plan is to try to go to at least one game this for East. Um, series if they make it. Now, if they make it to the NBA Finals, that might not be a reality because uh, I know them tickets going to be expensive and I got a child, so I can't spend like crazy amounts of money. But, you know, I can always dream. I feel that. Um, un- unfortunately, because I live in a state that does not have any professional teams, nonetheless NBA teams, I just be watching the games from home. So with regards to the Lakers and Grizzlies series, I just want both teams to be healthy and have fun. Obviously, y'all know the Lakers are my team, but also rock with the Grizzlies. So I'm good either way. Um, so, yes. And speaking of expensive, today I paid for NFL Sunday ticket. And um, you Girl, you go. Look, see, the thing is, I don't have a kid yet. And so I can, like, splurge on myself. But it's the, and plus, like, I love Sunday tickets, one of my all time favorite things, just in general. But it's like, dang, YouTube, because after tax, here's how they get you. So they try to spruce you up. Oh, yeah, you know, it'll only be $349 if you get it before June 6th. That doesn't sound horrible. After tax, it was $382.15. So practically, I was spending $400 anyway. But. I already spent it, and they made it very, very clear. You can't cancel it. There's no refunds. So, 
good luck to everybody who wants Sunday ticket because you're going to spend a real pretty penny for it. And I, I really hope it doesn't have as many crashes as DirecTV had because it's going to be such a freaking problem. But you do, you do what you got to do for the things that you love. But again, thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to check out that uh, 2022 NFL Draft Review. Got more draft content coming next week. And we will see you all next time.